0: Welcome to the Heroes at Home Podcast, where we believe heroes can thrive both at work and at home. This podcast is for those who stand watch while we sleep, who run into buildings while others run out, for those who deploy to hard places to have hard fights, and for the families that support them. Through candid conversation, we will discuss the side of things that don't get glorified in the media, what happens when they come home. We'll be talking with heroes from all walks of life and their partners, children, friends, and beyond so together we can build a stronger family. I'm Noel Metter, CEO, joined by my co-host, Kenny Thomas.
1: At 7.06 Sunday morning, Puyallup police were dispatched to a frantic scene. An off-duty Federal Way police officer who lives in Puyallup was out for a typical daily jog that ended in violence.
2: Just simply having his morning run that he does every day and comes across something that he knew was not right.
1: Federal Way police identified the victim as 27-year law enforcement veteran officer Donovan Hevener. Puyallup police say Hevener saw two men trying to pry open the doors of Jennings' equipment. He then, according to investigators, confronted the suspects from a distance and was pulling out his cell phone when the suspects fled.
2: As they began to flee the scene, likely from him yelling out to them, someone or some ones in that white pickup truck shot him on the sidewalk.
1: Hevener was shot in the abdomen but was able to call for help before collapsing on the sidewalk. He was taken to the hospital where he underwent surgery and is expected to survive.
2: Well, I think our police officers are heroes every day and he was doing nothing that any other officer wouldn't have done. He's got a a road ahead of him, but as of right now, he's expected to survive. Very close call, though.
0: Well, hey, welcome, Donovan, Tina. It's so good to have you on the show. And man, I'll tell you that when we look at guests and who's going to be coming on and sharing their story, your guys, this is one that's in a category that we've never had. Not because we haven't interviewed first responders or folks that have served our country, but because of the fact that your story, your journey of being shot, it's the first. So I'm excited about hearing more how this has impacted your life your marriage, your family, and ultimately your career. And I think there's a lot of insights for those who are listening that are going to be a follow along. So let's just jump in. What happened? What was the incident that led up to you being shot as a off-duty police officer, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So the incident happened on Halloween of 2021. So last year, I run a lot and I was just getting up for my normal weekend, long run that I was going to do at a 10K, virtual 10K I had to do. And I headed out for my run. There were a couple indicators that said I probably shouldn't go out, but I ignored them and went out. And as I was getting towards the end, I'm like, I need to find a space to get more miles in. I ran in an area of the city that I don't like to run in, but I did. And when I got to about mile five, I looked off to my left at a business and saw a couple of guys wrapping uh, some straps around the door handles of the front door and hooking them up to the pickup truck and being a first responder and a police officer, I thought, oh, that doesn't look right. <laughs> so I had to do, you know, what my policy says and stopped. I tried to hide the best I could behind a telephone pole and started calling 911. For some reason, I think they had a lookout. I don't know, but they were able to see me. Maybe been the fact that I was wearing a high visibility yellow sweatshirt as well to protect me in traffic, but they saw me. They took the straps off the door. They each hopped in their truck. And, as one was leaving the parking lot and coming out onto the street, I got shot in the stomach and didn't believe it. and nine one one had just picked up as soon as as soon as I got shot. First, I thought I got hit by a paintball, and very quickly, I realized that it wasn't a paintball, and things weren't good. So I got to the busy street that was right there at seven o'clock on a October morning, Sunday morning, and I just started running down the street trying to get a car to stop, and I think I, I we clocked it. It was about 150 yards before I just had to go to the side of the road and kind of collapse, and that's when fun- someone finally stopped, and then the first responders pulled up.
0: Wow. So was this the first time you've actually been shot? first and only time (laughs) first and only yeah because i mean you make mention of thinking that you got shot by a paintball and then realizing no this is like truly getting shot and so i wasn't sure if there had been another incident where you actually felt that (laughs) penetration describe what went through your mind as you went from oh this is a paintball shot to an actual
2: bullet can i just take us back there for a moment yeah i mean because when it happened i i wanted the hope for the best before I actually got to reality. And so that's why I thought maybe it's a paintball round, and and it wasn't. And man, as soon as I knew I was shot, I was, I haven't heard the 911 call yet, but I know I was screaming at the dispatcher, giving her as much information as I possibly could, looking around to let her know where I was at so I could get help to me quick. It was pretty frantic though. But I mean, the one thing I knew is from my training and everything is, I wasn't just going to lay down there on the side of the road in the dark. I, I knew I had to, I had to fight to get to where I could be found if if I wasn't able to continue. So I I made sure to get out you know into a busy area where there was lights.
0: Yeah, and I think if I remember right, you flagging down cars. Cars kept on going by. They weren't stopping, correct?
2: Yeah, cars kept going by. They didn't. One car stopped finally when I was dropping down to my knees. He pulled off to the side of the road, and then two girls in a, another vehicle stopped in the center turn lane asking if I was all right. And that's when, just as they both stopped, that's when I saw the. The red and blue lights coming down the road and heard the sirens, so. Wow.
0: So how much time would you say all of this elapsed?
2: It had to just be minutes. I mean, it wasn't very long. I don't know. Like I said, I haven't, I haven't seen any videos. I haven't heard the 911 tape yet at all, so.
0: Okay. Well, Tina, I want to shift over to you. Obviously, regular day, normal. Think that your husband's on a run. When did you get intercepted in a call or notified that your husband was shot? And What went through your mind?
3: Well, the first notification was his run tracker. So that morning he happened to use road ID. So when he stopped and saw them, he actually was standing still for five minutes. So I got a text alert that he was standing still. So when that came up... I looked at it and thought, oh, okay. you know, maybe I should start getting dressed. I didn't hear him open the front door. And usually when that goes off, it's because he forgets to turn it off at the end of the run. So I thought, "Okay, let me get up, get dressed. He's maybe having a blood sugar issue or for some reason needed to be picked up. It's it's happened before on runs. So I really didn't think much of it. But then I saw the tracker start running backwards on his route. So he was no longer going towards home. He started to move again, but was moving the wrong way. So I was like, oh, okay, he he's going back to the businesses area, you know, the business area, because I knew where it was, you know on the the GPS. so I thought, okay, he's just going to go wait at the Burger King or something for me to come get him." but so I started to get ready, and as I was getting ready, I heard the sirens, and just I just knew. so I actually got the call from the MTR officer. You
2: know, I have no idea.
3: Someone in the ambulance, because he kept on telling them that give her a call, she's text, she's called, you know someone call her." So I was at the car door when I got the call to say, "Hey, your husband's been shot. Meet him at TG or Tacoma General. So I was already at the door and on my way. So had I not got that call, I would have been able to track the I was still tracking him, and that tracker went all the way to the hospital. Wow! So cool uh, technology. I, I, I
0: get, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just know that like right now we're recalling this moment and pretty calm emotions. I can only imagine having, if I had been shot and my wife first time realizing your husband's been shot, like the panic and the freak out mode that she would go through. What, what emotions, I mean, I know you guys live and navigate the world of being a cop, which is a reality of, Hey, there potentially is going to be a point in time where, I might get shot. So I know that you prepare yourself for that, but when it actually happens, I'm just curious, like what went through your mind and what were you feeling? Not knowing, you know, is this a fatal shot or is this one that he's going to make it through? Give us a little bit more information on that.
3: They did tell me the stomach. So for me, I don't know why. I did not feel as it was as critical as it was. I thought, okay, he's going to the hospital. I'll see him. He'll have surgery. We'll be fine. So I never heard the extent um, prior. So I didn't hear the critical component of it till after I knew the outcome. Good or bad, I don't know. I, I guess good for me because it totally blocked me. For some reason everybody was, I was the calmest one in the waiting room. I didn't have a bad feeling about it. I just, it was all gonna be fine. It was just something we were gonna have to live through. My main concern was notifying. Family before the media got it because it went out media wise very quickly. So getting a hold of my daughter, his mother, my son, you know, family was what was important just to say, hey, he's been shot. He's still here, but let's give it some time and see what happens. The thing I did wrong was I actually started to watch the media. And, of course, people had him dead already and the negativeness of some of the things, but. Yeah. I didn't know until he was okay. It was still critical for the first couple of days because of possible infection and things like that, but great medical team. So I always felt comfortable and I, I didn't allow myself to think negatively.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, and I remember it. seeing the media on this. And so I want to jump into that for a moment. What was your guys' experience? I mean, it was quick in terms of this story, breaking news. All, you know, a lot of the outlets were covering it. Share what you, <laughs> you may on, on a podcast.
3: To me, I am, I'm very introverted and I am not the outgoing type person. So for me, it was overwhelming just just overwhelming. It just needed to stop. <laughs> mm. But yeah, it. and I don't know if other people do this, but I call it his death photo. We've always called it his death photo, right? He's had many of those taken over the years. He's been in law enforcement over 27, 28 years. So they used that photo. That was the first problem I had with it is the photo that they chose to use was the one we always did call his death photo, so I didn't like that that was out there before he was even out of surgery. What do you mean by That's death photo? The photo of them in their uniform in front of the flag. Yes. You know, that okay. Standard professional yep. photo. Yep. When is it used? It's used when someone passes or someone does something wrong. Right. Right. Um, yeah,
0: I wanted to make sure our listeners understood what that <laughs> was. Yeah.
3: It's it's just something we've always called it. I don't yeah. know. Maybe others don't, but to us, it. It was always, that's when you're going to see that photo, right? So that was the biggest thing to me. I was like, please, there's so many other, there's so many other photos of him in different types of police activity that I was just like, you could have picked any other photo.
0: Yeah. So you got the media covering this, you're trying to deal with family. And then obviously being by his side, helping him with the, you know, going through surgery Donovan, what was the emotion that you were having during this time? And I I, want to get to, and we can jump there if we want to right now. I don't want to miss out on some of the other elements here, but I think the reality of, okay, there's the immediate incident and then there's the recovery and certainly PTSD, right? I mean, going through this process, that traumatic response, I want to dig into that and learn a little bit about how that impacted you, Tina, how it impacted you and kind of your guys' relationship as you worked through this.
2: Well, it's kind of interesting how it all kind of evolved. I mean, when I first thing I remember from waking up at the hospital and not being so drugged up that I could actually remember something is Tina just throwing my phones at me, asking me, who do I think I am? (laughs) Because of all the media and everything, she gave me a little laugh that way. And then they kept a lot of information away from me as to far as, you know, how serious it was until, you know, they thought I could handle it. But in reality, I mean, when you talk PTSD and stuff, I think the medications helped me quite a bit that first week, that first week and a half or so where I didn't have any, any concerns or anything like that. But I am I would say like week, end of week two, things really started to hit pretty hard as to what happened and uh, the nightmares, that kind of stuff. The one thing I'm going to say, and I give all the credit in the world to Tina is, is I got shot on a Sunday. I was out of the hospital on a Friday and I believe she had me to a therapist that next Wednesday. Wow. Basically threw me in a car and said, all right, let's go. We're going to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. So I think that helped me immensely through it. It didn't prevent it, but I think it helped a little bit at the beginning stages of me coping with what was going on.
0: Tina, that is remarkable. That, that, that fast of a turn. I mean, what was, did you kind of just know that this was the course that we need to take or did someone kind of give you that guidance?
3: Well, my background is I do work in workers' compensation, so I do see work-related incidents quite often, not to this extent, thank goodness, but I knew that he was going to have some sort of issues with it, and I reached out to some of our law enforcement friends as to provider that they knew of or had heard of that I could reach out to, so I was very comfortable in finding the person initially that we did find. And she was kind of a lifesaver at the right time.
0: Yeah, because I mean, in a way, you're, you're dealing with physical injury, which is going to require a different path of healing. And then you got the emotional, spiritual aspect. What did that look like in terms of that journey? It sounds like you got the therapist to help with the emotional, potential PTSD, physical therapy. Is that something else that was a part of your guys' journey?
2: No, there was really no physical therapy. It was basically just taking time for it to heal. I mean, when I got shot, they took my gallbladder out and then they had to take the section. Your appendix. All right. (laughs) So my my appendix, and then uh, they had to take the section out between my large and small intestine.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, So
2: just trying to get things to heal inside internally, but then also getting medications to help, you know, with future complications that I'm going to have getting those right. So there was really no physical therapy at all. It was just Sit back, relax as much as you can and, and just let things heal. Yeah.
3: Wound care. I became a wound care nurse for about two and a half weeks.
2: Yeah. I guess what I'm curious is what
3: was what
0: has been the hardest part of this journey? Because obviously getting shot, not very many people can say that they've lived to tell the other side of this. But you guys as a couple, what's been that the toughest part of it?
2: I'll say I think the toughest part of it is is trying to navigate the psychological injuries that you get from this. You know, I had the therapist that she found for me right away, and obviously we were right before the holidays, family wanted to come out and visit. So I think I stopped that therapy sometime in November and agreed that I'd pick it up after the beginning of the new year. We'd work with workers' comp, figure out who's covered, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, following workers' comp recommendations, I went to the therapist that they said, you know, had that cultural competency, which now doing my research, I, I can't even trust that term anymore. And for me, the hardest part, and I think what was the biggest struggle in our relationship was, is I was struggling with therapy because I was with someone who I thought was supposed to help me get better. And I didn't know any better. And that person wasn't because even though they say they had a cultural competency, they were questioning the thoughts I was having, which I'm coming to find out were legitimate thoughts that a police officer would have with a psychological injury. Mm -hmm. So... It took me a bit. Um, it took me a lot of struggles. I, I think we were to the point where we were going to look for me being sent off someplace to get the care I needed. But I was able to reach out to some of my close friends who have some connections and did my research and found someone now who, thank God, they are giving me the the help that I need. And I hope Tina will tell you. I mean, she said it before that she has noticed a difference in me now that I'm getting the treatment that I really, truly need.
0: Yeah. You're not alone in this journey of finding someone who understands the context of a first responder and actually can counsel in the right way. I mean, so many, uh, we've had countless stories of first responders saying, you know, after the second session, I'm counseling the counselor, right? Because of what I'm sharing, it's so traumatic that the counselor is <laughs> in tears trying to, you know, deal with what I'm unpacking. So not alone in that journey. I, Tina, I want to ask you, what what changes did you see in Donovan from a psychological standpoint?
3: Well, with the first therapist, we got through getting back to the scene and just the realization of, yes, it happened. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that was helpful then when we switched to go under work comp definitely the frustration was rising irritability just focus it just you could tell he was falling apart
2: i think the big thing was i think the turning (laughs) point was is like we said before we started recording uh, today's our 31st anniversary being married Mm -hmm. and there was one day where i absolutely just blew up at her Mm -hmm. i stood outside my body watching myself blowing up at my wife I've never done that in my life. And that was the turning point for me. That's where I knew. I mean, she was just devastated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think the emotional toll on what you've walked through and the impact on your relationship, it's to be expected, right? In terms of that's going to have a lot of challenges with it. What have you guys found? I mean, Don, I mean, you're getting therapy. You know, what have as a couple, what have been the things that have helped keep you guys close and creating that, you know, connection, intimacy through this journey?
3: Well, before the incident happened, we had actually started building our retirement home. So that has been a blessing because we were able to finish that. And now we are able to go there and have our away from everything time. So it is our weekend home until he retires. So That has helped us a lot. And then we started just branching out. I think he's shared with you that he belongs to the the Cops Street Survival Group. And then there's the Cops Family Survivors Group that I have joined. And just getting a few very close relationships with people that their journey's not the same, but they can understand. And everybody's very acceptable of the differences in situations and just there for you. There are people from across the nation, but I would call them like very good friends of mine now. So leaning on other people in the same situation, you know, you have your family, you have people from the department, but it really does come down to the people that can kind of share that same same journey. Because there's just things that people won't understand or couldn't understand. And we didn't understand before either. He's changed. And I've told him this since the injury. I can tell him situations prior to the injury that he was not as empathetic as he would be now. Mm. And so that's been a positive change is he's become more human again after 27 years, 28 years as being a cop, you know, it's funny looking back, but you can see the progression of kind of that coldness setting in Mm -hmm. just because that's what the job requires. Yep. I have a human back.
0: Wow. Well, that's amazing. Donovan, where do you think that connecting piece? I mean, was it because of the incident or is it because of therapy or is it all of
2: the above? I think it's all the above. I don't think I ever realized. I mean, I always kind of knew I mean, with the the stuff I was involved in, I mean, I was part of the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. So I had to deal with child pornography and all that. So I knew that was going to weigh on me. I guess I just didn't realize how badly it was weighing on me and really didn't start figuring it out until I got into therapy. And, you know, I think the other thing that keeps us connected right now is I don't hide anything that goes on in therapy with Tina. I mean, I, I tell her every time I come home, you know, hey, this is what we discussed today. This is the traumatic event that we focused on today to try to get me through that. I mean, it's just a, a little piece at a time. I, you know, and you talk to a lot of the first responders who are going through therapy. They use the EMDR. Um, I actually found a therapist who's using accelerated resolution therapy, mm-hmm. which is similar to, but a little different. That's the one that's giving me the best results right now. And And like I said, I just, I share everything with her because I think it's important for her to know what I'm going through.
0: I have a feeling that some of our listeners who are cops are going to be asking this question. How has it been since you got shot with the department dealing with navigating that landscape?
2: There's been ups and downs. Like we said at the beginning, this is not a normal situation that happened. The department came out, supported me right away, letting everyone know this was an on-duty injury because I was following what policy told me to do, which I couldn't be more thankful for. However, and we've talked and I think we've healed over it now, but the day after I got shot, they had someone clear my desk off and sit down at my desk and start doing, trying to do my, the job that I was doing. And I'm a recruiter backgrounder for the department, but you know, that was my area. There's a lot of pride in there. And then, you know, officers were taking pictures and sending it off to me and laughing, Hey, someone's already taking your spot, which, mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, they thought it was funny. And if it were me before this, I probably would've thought it was funny too, but psychologically it didn't help. And then the other thing is, and I, and I talked to officers, you know, around the country involved in the same thing is department put time limits on officers to get back, on employees to get back because they don't think about us being in a different category. And my department has a six month rule. When you're on light duty, you got six months to get back. And that date was looming heavy over my head thinking, all right, you know, I took a bullet. I was off duty, but I was doing what I was supposed to do and I could be fired for it. And mm-hmm. and we're in this day and age now, especially when we're talking about active shooters and stuff. We're telling cops to run towards the gunfire. We've always told cops to do that, but we're telling them that even more now. And we're going to put a timeline on to get back. So it was a battle, but we were able to work our way through it. And I'm still with the department. I still have a good relationship with the department. Like I said, it's just, it's been some struggles and some growing pains and some learning at the department, I think. Yeah.
0: Anything you do differently in this journey? Are we a year in or almost a year?
2: We're just shy of a year. Yeah. Cause it was October yeah. that I got shot. So yeah, so we're getting there. Well, I guess first thing I'd do is not get shot. <laughs> <laughs> Throw that one out there. Yeah. <laughs> but do different. I don't think there's anything I do differently because I think. Everything I did has brought me to where I am right now and to where we are in our relationship. And I think we're the strongest we've ever been. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I would trade anything that's happened right now for it because looking back, I don't think I like the person that I was before being shot and then just after being shot. And I'm starting to like the person I am now because I think I'm getting to be the person I was before I became a police officer.
0: I love that. I love that for a lot of different reasons. Certainly the effect of injury, it does have a, a factor in terms of what people do with that, right? And it seems like you guys were smart in the sense of, hey, we got to pursue health. We got to pursue you know, the channels of folks that are going to be supportive and walking with us through this. And I think when those things, Kenny and I interview enough people, the themes are consistent, right? When people pursue support, community, when they support, you know, they they pursue counseling. These are things that I I think are categories, people, I don't really need it, or, you know, I just don't have time for it, or, you know, I've never seen anything good come out of it. That has not been our experience as we've interviewed a lot of folks. It's usually, man, this has been a game changer. This has helped my marriage. It's helped my mental health in terms of getting better. So kudos to both of you guys to have that awareness and to fast track it and not give up on it. I mean, it would have been easy in that first counselor to be like, ah, eh, this isn't working. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to walk away from it. And I see a lot of that too. You know, there's, mm-hmm. I gave him one shot or a couple sessions and this just, I mean, this was ridiculous, right? You didn't give up. You kept on looking and researching. And so yeah, a lot of, a lot of good things that have come out of this.
2: Yeah. And I think we're still in that process. I mean, I, this is going to be a long process because yeah, the one thing we've talked about is, you know, we need to get me back to where I was. But the next step is getting Tina back to some sort of normalcy as well, because the trauma she suffered, especially through this, I couldn't imagine having to get that phone call or anything and everything she's gone through with me. So that's the next step in our process is is getting her just some help that as well.
0: Yeah. And man, that was a perfect segue because I actually was going to circle back with Tina because I mean, you cannot walk through what you just walked through without some secondary PTS, And so what has that journey looked like for you? I mean, I don't know if you've pursued counseling or some of these other modalities to deal with the effects of what, what you've witnessed.
3: I haven't professionally. Like I said, I've joined some groups. I've had some conversations with people in the same situations. We talk a lot about what's helping each other, you know, the journaling, the things like that. Just talking about the situation has been very helpful. And just starting to get involved in more of the law enforcement community and, you know, like going to the seminar, coming up here for Stronger Families. We have another one at the end of September that we're going for as well. So just getting out there, telling our story and just meeting the same people and just going through that journey together has been wonderful. My work has been great with me. Family's been very supportive. So just kind of on auto mode at this point but yeah we'll get there
2: and i do remind her that she did throw me in a car to take me to a therapist and they can turn right around that way as well for her so <laughs>
3: <laughs> well we'll wait till my blow up i guess right <laughs>
0: That's good, and I'm so glad that you guys are going to be joining us. What they're alluding to is we put on these first responder conferences, our retreats, where they're overnight and have a chance for couples to. We have like 50 couples; it's a sold out event in Bellevue, and we're beginning to do this around the country, where these different locations. And what we have found is there's such you can be the couple who's literally hanging on and struggling, and this is a great place to come because we have counselors that are on site. But for the most part, what I see is a lot of couples who are coming who are like, man. I've been beat up and there's a lot of in the rear view mirror that I'm dealing with and their spouse is coming, going, I've also experienced a lot of maybe not direct, but indirectly. And they have a chance and a place to process that where it's safe and they have support around them. And then there's a community, right? It's not like they're alone. So yeah, super excited to get your guys' feedback as you go through that. But that's what they were talking about in terms of stronger families and what we're putting on. So
4: Kenny, what are your thoughts? I think you hit it when you said, you know, we keep hearing and seeing the the same recurring themes of stories that result in success. There seems to be a process, I think, that we started uncovering through this podcast, which I think is great because this is something that's quite unique to what we've. Usually we're talking about the demands of living that lifestyle, coming home from a first responder has many small deployments. But it's like they got deployed every other week and they're coming home and they've adjusted that lifestyle. But this is a one, a singular event that could have been a landslide. And I think you guys shored it up really quick. The fact that Tina had the foresight to say, "Okay, well, let's go get some counseling right away. It's just extraordinary. And it seems such a small thing to stand here and say, oh, yeah, go get counseling, because we all know it. that's what we would. We would advise our friends that you should probably go get counseling or some help, someone who's good at it. And then, but we don't ever do it. You know, so. Oh, and I know he
3: did it for me 100 percent the first time he did not want to be there. He did not believe in it, but he did it because I asked him to. And that's okay. I said, that's fine. You go once. If it doesn't work for you, if you don't, you know, just you have to go at least once. And he did. And then even the second therapist that didn't work well, he stuck with longer than I asked him to. I asked him to switch probably halfway through the amount of time he stayed because he just wanted it to work out. So even when it was bad, he was to a point where he really wanted it to work. So he knew it. And like I said, if you asked him that day that I got him in the car, it wasn't going to do anything good for him.
4: And one of the things that kept coming into my mind, if I were to do an after actions and sit down with you guys, I'd love to know where the department stands right now as, okay, what did we as a public service entity learn from this as one of our one of our own, one of our employees, got shot in an off-duty thing, and then all the different things that happened, the public perception of it, the media—what did they learn? What's one thing that the department learned that they can improve upon, and what's one thing that they that you guys felt like they did well? Make sense. Yeah. What I'm asking. Makes sense. Yeah. So things that they could improve upon, and again,
2: mine was so different. You know, yep. when I was ready to come back light duty. I gave him, uh, my doctor's going to clear me to come back, you know, limited hours, light duty. Do I need to go in for a, a psychological clearance? And I was told no. And that threw me off. And and after talking with them, they said, yep, that's something we messed up. We, sh- we should have had you go in for a psychological clearance because you were involved in a shooting. Even though you didn't pull a trigger or anything, you were involved in a shooting. We, we should have sent you in. So, I mean, that's that's one thing. As far as the other things, I mean, I think they're they're trying to clean it up as well is learning that officers aren't always going to come back as quickly from our injuries that we sustain as a normal office employee is going to come back. So, I think that's the other thing that they're they're still trying to wade their way through and and I think they're they're working out a plan as to how to be more successful at it. What they did, I think that was good, and I think they would agree is they had a An officer who that me and Tina both know, assigned as her, you know, basically her contact. A close family friend of ours from the department. Everything that was coming to our house was coming through him. And that helped us out quite a bit. Even when the media was wanting to interview me because, again, I don't know why it blew up, but, you know, they wanted to interview me after I got home. Everything came through that officer, which helped Tina not having to deal with a lot of people that she didn't know or maybe wasn't comfortable with at the department. So, I mean, I could go over a lot of goods and bads that that happened, but this was a whole learning experience for everyone. Because, again, I mean, even in my career, I've never heard of anything like this happening.
3: And that's another thing, too, I don't know that departments are really good about. And I don't know if we filled out that questionnaire several times together. What happens if something happens to you at work type thing? You know, I mean, it goes all the way down to your funeral requirements, right? Mm-hmm. So we did that paperwork together. I knew who was gonna show up at my door, 28 years as a law enforcement wife, I knew how things were supposed to play out and they didn't play out that way at all. And I guess that's why I didn't think it was as critical as it was because it didn't happen. It didn't happen that someone showed up and knocked on my door and picked me up, right? Because that's what you think is gonna happen in a critical situation. That's what we've talked about. Those are the papers we went through. And in my situation, it was, I got the call from the ambulance, you know, and I was at the car door and I got myself to the hospital. But then those two contacts that I knew were listed, Showed up. They were with me with the fifteen other officers in the waiting room for those hours. And yeah, it's very important that you talk through with your wife or partner or whoever what that paperwork says, and make sure you have it up to date. I think in our situation, they showed up at our old house because they hadn't updated. You know, it was updated with HR, but maybe not in the emergency plan. So things like that have those discussions and make sure everything's up to date and. You kind of know what that scenario is going to play out to be. It may not. And I guess in my situation, I think that's what that was part of my. It's not serious. No one came to my door. (laughs) I don't know. But it's important to go through that paperwork. And I don't think any or all officers necessarily do that together.
0: I forgot to ask this, but this would be pretty relevant to get an update. I'd love to hear, and we're getting to the end of our time, but I'd love to hear for those who are listening, who are struggling, maybe they have had some type of injury, physical, emotional, and they're battling through that. What have been tips and maybe insights in your guys' relationship that have helped keep you grounded, keep you calm, keep you communicating through this time? Because a lot of that stuff goes by the wayside when stress and trauma hits us. It's so hard to control that. So what would you offer to those who are listening kind of on this this path of recovery that have been super helpful in your marriage?
2: I'll say, I mean, we've always had a very open communication in our marriage. And that's the biggest thing. If you can't can't talk to your spouse or your significant other about what's going on, about how you're feeling, it's going to be difficult. I mean, everyone feels alone. There was a point I felt so alone in this whole thing even talking to her. And I can't imagine if I wasn't talking to her where I would have ended up. So it is that that communication of just, I mean, it, it's uncomfortable. It's never fun. And when I talk to officers about, hey, if you've been involved in something, think about your spouse as well, because they're going through it with you. Their theory is, I don't want to bother them with it. As far as they don't think they need help, even though that you're showing the signs at home, you may mention something about what goes on. So it's one of those things you, you gotta make sure you have that open communication and and again, I think we got involved in the survivor groups pretty quick, which is something I would recommend to anyone who has been in a significant incident or not get involved in some sort of group where you have a safe place to talk. Yeah. yeah. Tina, what about it's for you? Just, um,
3: It's been a lot of just forgiveness in situation too. I can tell when he's having a bad day, I'm not going to push his buttons, you know, because after 31 years, I know how to. And, you know, just not taking things personally. The day he blew up at me, walking away and realizing that isn't normal, that isn't him. And just resetting, refocusing. I walked away for a few minutes, came back. We talked about it and we're like, Hey, this isn't normal. Let's, let's work through this and figure it out. And we did. And like I said, so it's a lot of, a lot of patience, patience with other people, with the department. I still have some bitterness that I'm you know, still working through the last two months worth of treatment, but a lot of forgiveness, a lot of patience and just Hanging in there every day will be a new challenge. And as long as we have each other's back, we're, we're okay. We've got
0: it. Yeah. Donovan, I want to come back because you mentioned something there that I think was pretty significant in the fact that you are openly sharing and you're not leaving anything to be uncovered later on. And I think I, what I hear from a lot of first responders is I probably should, but I don't want to bring them into all the the carnage that's going through my mind, I just rather, you know, I'm already dealing with it. Why should I have my spouse have to deal with it? Can you counter that with why you feel like this is so important?
2: Because the stuff that we're seeing is making us who we are. Now I'm not saying that I'm letting her know everything. Okay. There are some things that she never will know that I've been involved in at work that I've had to go through. And she knows it, that that will just stay be between me and my therapist. But for the most part, just knowing that, Hey, There was something bad that happened and I need to just talk. And it could be about anything, but just having that person to talk to in this profession that you can't get away from having some deep down traumatic secret, you know, from your, your spouse or significant other. I'm not saying, you know, that I've done anything horrible, but just the things that we've seen that you don't want your spouse or significant other to go through, but you can still have that conversation of, Hey, I had a really rough call it pertain to this and not get into the gory details. Yeah. There's ways to get around it so you don't have to expose them to everything. Just let them know this is this is why I'm off today. This is why I'm having an issue so that they understand.
3: Yeah. And I think that's important because it's it comes through I and mean, and if you're not honest about why you're a little short or you know something's changed then they can only assume it's them, right? Or something going on there. So just having that openness about what you are going through is important.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you clarified because I think there is that fine line, right? Between overly sharing all the traumatic, you know, gory details that you've witnessed or experienced versus being able to put it in a category of like, this has been rough and here's why I'm showing up the way I'm showing up. I uh, give some context right to the situation. So uh, glad that we were able to kind of press into that. You guys, I, I'm so thankful for you being on the show and sharing and I know that folks are potentially gonna have questions. Are you okay if we put your a way to contact you or do you want them to come through us? And how, how do you wanna do that? Cause I have a feeling there's gonna be some questions that are gonna come.
2: No, you can share my email address, that's fine. Okay, all
0: right. And uh, congrats on 31 years. That's my final question to you. Thirty-one years—what would you say has been the number one thing to help you get to thirty-one years?
3: I'm always right. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Boom.
2: <laughs> yes, she's right.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. You
3: know, awesome. we were so young. We grew up together. So y'all
4: you know, should write yeah. a book on. I'm that. only
3: forty. Remember. Right?
0: <laughs> Well, thanks to you guys she again for being on the it. show. Appreciate it. I don't know about you, but that, well, they're all good. Like all these guests are amazing. But this one, mm-hmm. I think, I think this was probably my top three in terms of interviews and just hearing their story, yeah. their journey.
3: What makes uh, you say that?
0: I think it's the degree of situations, incidences that create challenges for couples. Mm-hmm. They are across the board. I mean, one of the ones at the top, Scott and his wife, betrayal, infidelity. I mean, to come back from that, unbelievable. Like my hat goes off to both of them. I mean, you have to fight hard to get to that place of forgiveness and all those kinds of things. I think the situation though, it didn't have those elements. It had different elements that I think, Oh my gosh, I, those are tough things to come back from because it can send you down so many different roads from what you experienced your spouse, not knowing who they're now dealing with. So I guess that's why it was a top, top three for me.
4: Yeah, you're right. I think that was one of the things that I got out of when Donna was talking and when Tina, Tina's fourth sight to get him to counseling very quickly because as we have seen, it quickly goes many different ways because we are all very JV when it comes to processing our emotions and our trauma. We're no good at it, and. When left to do it ourselves, marriages start falling apart, relationships start crumbling, and then people start making podcasts about it, you know? So um, I love that she had, it's basically a roadmap for the, our people, our listeners to follow. Yeah, yeah. Go find someone who's pro at processing that stuff. As opposed, and notice I don't ever use the word, go find some help. Nobody likes to be told, "Yeah, hey, you need help. We think you need help because the first thing you're gonna say is, "No, man, I'm good." Yeah. But if you go find somebody that's a professional that's better at it than you are, and I think what we have shown throughout this is that that commonality is one you need. You need a you need a Tina. You need somebody that's steadfast and helping, and that will be that will be shore you up and be there to lift you up and can and. You can't do it yourself. Basically, we've been we've seen that a bunch and you can't do it without everybody that's gone the route of getting a pro to step in for counseling. It's always paid off.
0: Yeah. And I love I think the big takeaway for me on this one was the fact that he was like, I don't I don't need this. I don't want to do this but I'm going to do it for you. And I think a lot of first responders need to hear that message. Even if you don't think you need it and you don't want to do it, do it for your spouse's sake. Because what you're going to find in that is you probably did need it. And even if you didn't, at least you're checking the box of, hey, you know what? I understand this is important to you. I'm going to weigh in on this and at least go to one of the sessions to make sure that you know that I care about you, right? And I mean, he was showing a lot of maturity in that to say, but to me, the aha moment was, them sharing, this is the best it's been for us. Like this journey of being a cop for 20 plus years, it's jaded me. And I didn't realize how hard I'd become in my heart. And this therapy, while it was for the incident, actually, I think probably the magnification of it was, this is about a this is about decades of being in law enforcement and look at what it's done for them. So that, I don't know, the encouragement to pursue that, to pursue health, you might be thinking it's about the incident. It could be, in fact, about a whole lifetime of stuff that you're dealing with that you're going to, you know, begin to resolve and, and, and grow closer. So that was the big takeaway for me.
4: Well, yeah. And that transitions to how I always like to sum these up, because if we're trying to talk about our heroes, remember from day one, I've said, I think we need to, nobody's comfortable being called a hero that's in public service or the military. So we redefine what that is. And it's that person who has struggled and then fought through the struggle and come out on the other end, they, as a couple, took 20 years of law enforcement and the dark side of which that you inherit with that choice and took that burden. And through this incident of being shot, basically in the line of duty and turning it into something positive. But... The key there is they allowed it to be turned into something positive. Mm-hmm. Still yeah. a choice you got to make. A choice. Yep. Yes. Yes. Very cool. We're pretty good at this. And all yeah. And all. You know, yeah. that's pretty bad. soon. We'll just start telling people to come to us. We'll just do <laughs> the counseling.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, we get that response from our spouses all the time. Yes. I got all the answers for you, honey. I got all of them. Just come right over here
4: you're so patient Kenny and you're
0: so understanding oh man if you're still listening at this point which if you are you are a rock star superstar listener we just want to say thank you please like and leave a comment whatever platform you're listening to you know whether it's YouTube or Spotify that helps the show get out there and then the other thing is know that there's always resources for you at StrongerFamilies.com with that we're signing off
4: good day good day